And I'm Andy. Welcome to McCourtcast, McCourt's People Podcast. This week, we caught up with Brianna Green, Director of Career Development and Alumni Engagement at McCourt. Hey, Brianna. Hi, guys. Yes, thank, thanks so much for joining us today. I am super excited to hear about all of the interesting stuff you're involved in, Brianna, um, because I'm, I'm not going to lie, some of your work outside of McCourt has already been hyped up to me by others. Oh, no. Saying how cool you are. <laughs> So, well, I appreciate I think that. This is, this is going to be great. Um, All right. Are we ready to dive in? Yeah. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. Brianna, one of the things that we've learned about you is that you are a competitive powerlifter and a powerlifting coach. Yes. Can you tell us, like, what it means to be a powerlifter and what you do on a regular basis? Sure. So, powerlifting is literally picking up heavy things and putting them down. Um, I've been doing that for probably the last, I mean, off and on, I've always lifted weights for most of my adult life, but, um, I got into powerlifting probably about five years ago. Um, I was originally a competitive bodybuilder and I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I like to eat and this diet thing is not working for me. So when I figured out that I could actually lift heavy weight and eat, I was like, sign me up. So basically what powerlifting involves is there's three main lifts. So the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. And I mean, in, co- in competition, literally the goal is to lift as much as you can. Um, you get three attempts at each lift, so nine lifts total. And there's certain things that um, you have to do in order for the lift to count. For example, there are certain cues that you have to wait for from the referees. And if you jump the cues, then it doesn't count. If you don't go below depth on your squat, it doesn't count. So there's a lot of little things in it, but it's just, um, I love it because there's always something to work on. And it's, you know, I think for women, a lot of times, a lot of the things that we participate in are based on aesthetics. And this is one of those things where it really doesn't matter what your body looks like. It's really just a matter of what your body can do. So um, I, I love it. It's it's so much fun. It's hard because, you know, I'm not a spring chicken. So um, there's different weight divisions and age divisions in which you can participate. But, um, there's you know, there's just always something new to learn. So I really I enjoy it a lot. Um, And as far as the coaching piece, so I actually um, started coaching um, the powerlifting team for Maryland Special Olympics in Howard County, which is where I live. And a friend of mine just randomly, who was a friend that was sort of involved in fitness that I knew, um, asked me to come along with her and help her one day because she was the head coach. And the first day I was hooked. Like these are the most amazing athletes I have ever come across because it is all about just doing it and getting better. There's no ego. There's no pretense. You know, they just want to learn and they want to do better and they want to, you know, please their coaches. So, you know, and working with them, they make me a better athlete and a better coach. So it's been going on about five years. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't have a season this year. And I can tell you that is, I think, one of the things that has been most um, painful for me with this quarantine, because I just, I miss working with them so much. So without a season, have you been able to stay kind of involved with the powerlifting? Are you able to still do your lifting? What has it looked like during the p- pandemic for you to kind of stay involved with this? Wow. So <laughs> it has been a lot of twists and turns. Um, so initially, I think the last time I was in a like a, a public gym was March of 
last year. So it's almost coming up on a year. And fortunately, I had already had some equipment at home just because, you know, for, for various reasons. And, you know, my husband does things. So that part wasn't too hard. But then I really started missing the barbell. Like that was the hardest part for me, um, you know, not having the ability to get under the barbell. So of course, as I started to look for some equipment, everything was sold out or it was like $5,000 for like one barbell. Um, and so I did a little, you know, finagling. I met some guy in a dark alley. He sold me a barbell. You know, I found some plates. <laughs> and then my... You met some guy in a dark alley. Now you're hanging out with someone in a very dark closet right, recording right. a podcast. Exactly. Like, it's been a weird pandemic. It has really been a, a journey. Um, and then my super amazing husband actually surprised me with a squat rack, um, uh, kind of between my it was kind of a birthday Christmas ish kind of present. And so now I'm like, if I stay in the house for the rest of my life, I'm okay. <laughs> so do you and your husband do you guys do powerlifting competitions together? Or does he do that as well? Oh, absolutely not. Um, oh. <laughs> I think one of the things so we've been married 20 years. And I think one of the reasons that we've been able to survive that amount of time is that we have separate hobbies. <laughs> Um, so he actually is um, a martial artist and has been for the better part of his life. And so he teaches um, and coaches now and he does mostly internal martial arts like uh, Tai Chi and some of the more softer meditative stuff. So he does his thing. I do my thing, but we support each other and it, it works out well. You guys give new meaning to the term power couple. <laughs> <just> Seriously. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, so one of the most fascinating things to me, and I think something that's just so cool is that you put yourself out there to really try something new to dive in. And, and now it's like a, a big part of your life. What was that like? Do you remember your first competition that you did? It sounds super nerve wracking to me as oh, an outsider. So I'm just curious like, how that experience was. So, you know, um, it was, it was interesting. Like I said, it was, a very different energy than bodybuilding because that is again all based on how you look and everybody's hungry and mad and you know in in those spaces you know it's a competition so you're you know and not me I'm not competitive in that way but a lot of times people are like oh that's my you know that's my competition the enemy da 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 and so you go to a powerlifting meet and you just find yourself cheering for everybody. You don't care who they are. You don't care if they're in the same division as you. You know, you're you're out there supporting everyone. And it's just amazing. Um, so that was really fun. And then I remember I was a little bit nervous. Like I'm I'm a big researcher and like I don't do anything without research and you know, preparing and I'm not an impulsive, just kind of jump in kind of person. So I had done a lot of work to prepare in terms of practicing the commands and, you know, all of these different things. So I felt pretty good in that respect. But one of the things I learned is that, you know, one of my favorite outcast lyrics is you can you can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather. And that was literally what it was like. You can have the most amazing prep and do everything right and hit every lift and every weight. And then you get to that platform on that day and it could all fall apart. So you have to be able to maintain, you know, your sense of presence and keep yourself grounded when things don't go according to plan. So, for example, the first lift is always the squat. I did those. No problem. That's my favorite lift. So that's like my jam. And then 
my nemesis is bench press. Just it just is. I think it's part of a it's partly a mental thing and partly a you know I think um, physiology thing. I think a lot of women just tend to have weaker upper bodies than lower bodies. But at any rate, um, you know I had worked on it. and I'd kind of gotten myself to where I needed to be, and I did my first my first one, and it was fine. And then my second one, I you know the command happened, and I started to press up, and my right arm just said, "Nope, not today." And I, I just was like, what was that? It wasn't a heavy weight. It wasn't the heaviest weight I'd ever done. But my body just said, nope, we're not doing it. And so I was really upset. But I had one more lift and then three deadlifts to complete. So I had to go back and like talk myself off a ledge and just say, listen, you got to keep it together. This is not a big deal, you know, whatever. And so I learned a lot of lessons that day. But, you know, again, this the energy is just it's amazing. It's so much fun. Now, these competitions, they do sound pretty intense. What do you do to kind of relax afterwards or to give your body a rest? Um, so afterwards, I usually just collapse <laughs> for like a week. <laughs> I don't, you know, I usually don't go to the gym. I might, you know, do a little, I walk outside or just do some active recovery. But I usually just take a good week and some change just to kind of, you know, let myself sort of come down off that high. I'll go get a massage. I'll go see my chiropractor. Um, and then depending on sort of what is next, that really determines where I am. So, so I, I'm usually not one that does competitions back to back or more than two meets in a season just because it is so taxing on my body. So usually from that time, I just do some fun stuff like I do CrossFit. So I'll do that or, um, you know, yoga, whatever. But I think one of the things for me that was a game changer, probably the last year because I um, had competed um, at Raw Nationals, which is a national competition um, in Chicago. And so I really had to kind of focus on keeping myself grounded. And so I started meditating and I started meditating during my workouts and it like changed everything for me. So um, just really like focusing on breathing and trying to stay present and in the moment and not get in my head too much. And so I try to I try to do that as much as possible when I'm training. Um, and it, I, I do find it's helpful. So I just want to come back to kind of the coaching side of this for a second. So obviously coaching is a completely different angle from being in the competition yourself. Mm -hmm. What do you find most challenging about the coaching role? Um, I think one of the biggest challenges of coaching in general is figuring out how to speak people's language. Um, and so, you know, because I like I learn everybody learns in a different way. So I might be a visual learner. So I might somebody might just show me something one time and then I get it. Other people might be auditory or they have to, you know, see it written down or things like that. So um, that's always, you know, an interesting challenge anyway. But then when you're working with um, athletes that have different disabilities, some of them intellectual, some of them physical, then you have to figure out how you were going to speak their language and what their, I don't want to say their limitations, but work around whatever they are, you, you know, basically meet them where they are. So if you have someone, for example, we have an athlete that is in a wheelchair and we had to figure out how to get her to deadlift. You got to stand up to deadlift, right? So, you know, the coaches and I had to really get together and figure out, okay, what's going to make this work? 
Um, and so typically what happens is one person will, you know, stand her up, stand behind her, grab her around her waist. So she's supported in that position. And then she can kind of bend down and pick the bar up. Um, and then when she bench presses because of some mobility issues with her legs and they don't, your feet have to be on the ground for a bench press, right? Cause you use the leg drive to get the bar up. Um, that's not a possibility with her. So we ended up, um, basically strapping her legs down to the bench with like kind of a belt and they're, you know, sticking straight out. And then, you know, really, she has to really engage her upper body to, to get the bar up. So it's amazing to, to see the, the modifications that they can even come up with to, to help themselves be successful. So I would say that's probably the most challenging part. Working with the Special Olympics has obviously been really close to your heart. And we were kind of wondering for our listeners, how would somebody get involved if they were interested? Ah, oh, yes, this is exciting. I could talk about this every day. <laughs> so basically, every state and every county um, has a Special Olympics office. So I would suggest if you, for example, for me, for the state of Maryland, I'm in Howard County. Um, there was some um, official paperwork and um, trainings I had to do to be able to first be a volunteer and be a coach. Um, but I would just reach out to whatever your local Special Olympics division is for your county and find out um, how you can get involved. They are always looking for volunteers. Um, and there are so many sports. There's spring sports, there's winter sports, there's swimming, there's football, there's baseball, there's track, there's archery, there, I mean, literally everything. Um, and then typically in the fall, there is a fall festival, at least for the state of Maryland, where all the athletes from all of the different counties compete in all a bunch of different sports. And it's just amazing to watch. So you know, it's a great way to, again, get outside of yourself and help somebody else. And, you know, usually that in turn that ends up helping you and, and you learn something too. So I would strongly suggest it. Well, I feel like we could talk about kind of the powerlifting, Special Olympics, how amazing this work is all day. Mm -hmm. um, but in the interest of time and switching gears a little bit, because you have a lot going on, Brianna, so we want to make sure we get to this other <laughs> super interesting thing going on in your life too. So you have a podcast. Yes. Can you tell us what it's called? Tell us a little about it. Absolutely. So, um, well, let me explain it first. And then when I say the name, it will make sense. So, you know, really for a long time, but again, as I started to get more into strength sports, like powerlifting, you know, um, CrossFit, strongman, Olympic lifting, I would just like to watch the athletes because they're just so amazing. Um, I started to recognize that I never really saw anyone, saw anyone that looked like me. So I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, it, can I do this? I don't, I don't see other, you know, black women doing this. What's, what's up with that? And so I just remember one day talking to a friend and being like, gosh, I wish there was a place like we could sort of figure out where these athletes are and like, you know, what they, what their training is like and what they do. And, you know, as often as happened in my life, when something like that pops up and I can't find it, I'm like, well, why don't you make it? So I got this idea. And at first it started out just as an Instagram page where I was just posting videos of different athletes, um, female athletes doing, you know, their thing. Um, and again, I started thinking like, gosh, 
I'm sure these women all have amazing stories because obviously, you know, they're the very popular, you know, sort of people that are well known and like in CrossFit, Elizabeth Akinwale is a, is a huge um, name in the CrossFit game. She's not a CrossFit anymore, but, you know, or Olympic weightlifting, Kara Head Slaughter, like just a lot of different people. But I'm like, there have to be everyday women like me who are moms, who are um, wives, who have jobs, who are taking care of parents, who, you know, may have disabilities, who have a lot of things going on that have these interesting stories to tell. So that was literally how I decided to start this podcast. And it's really just to celebrate um, women of color, particularly black women in strength sports. Um, it's called the chocolate bar. <laughs> so that's why I was like, well, let me tell you why <laughs> you'll get it. Um, and it's, I've, I've done it since I guess 2016, 2017. Originally I had a partner and then I decided to just move forward in a different direction. So it's really just me having a conversation with women that just do phenomenal things. Um, I haven't started it up this year. I took kind of an unexpected but much needed hiatus last year. So I'm super excited to get back engaged and, you know, start letting women tell their stories again. And just so our listeners know, The Chocolate Bar, you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere? Everywhere you can find podcasts. Yep. Awesome. Well, Brianna, Lucy and I definitely need to pick your brain about the podcast space <laughs> and putting on a successful podcast. Listen, um, I was telling Lucy earlier that it has literally been trial by fire. Like, I am definitely someone who's like, if I don't know how to do it, I'm either going to research how to do it or find people that know how to do it that can show me how to do it. And even with that, like, some of those early episodes are so raggedy. <laughs> So I would add, you may not want to listen to those, but you, you can you can hear the progression as as they move forward. And, you know, honestly, I think if if you're doing something that you're putting your heart into and that you're passionate about, like it'll just start to flow. So and I'm still learning things like, you know, I, I'm learning every day like, OK, well, this is a better platform than this. Or you want to make sure, you know, you ask these kinds of questions. Um, and I think that's really the I think that's the key to a great podcast is approaching it like a conversation, right? So if you're on there and you're letting somebody tell your tell their story, let them tell their story, you know, ask those powerful, you know, questions that, you know, not the questions that everybody else asked them. Ask them, to, like, I ask the most random questions sometimes. You know, sometimes I'll ask, what's in your purse right now? Or, you know, I'll ask, like, you know, you're going down the Soul Train line. What dance are you doing? Like, just random stuff, you know, and it just really makes for great conversation. So what dance are you doing oh, when you're gosh. walking down the Soul Train line? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. If I'm going down the Soul Train line, I'm probably doing... Okay, again, I'm aging myself here, but this is something for you all young people to Google. Um, I would say I'm doing the Thelma from Good Times, so I'll leave it at that, and then you have to Google and figure out what that dance looks like. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> You know, you can feel free to send us a video of you um, dancing. Absolutely for us to add not. To Instagram. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we, we need a little promo for our social media. That will so. not be it. You know, uh, I, I still want people to have to trust in my credibility as a professional and as a career development professional. So, no, there will no there will be no video of that. Okay, this is a bit of a stretch on a segue. Mm -hmm. But we also know that you have a passion for plants. I do. Now, our previous guest Sue was very much into home editing. Or, I guess, organizing homes. And she also loves plants. Mm -hmm. So we, and the environment. So we figured plants, tell us about it. 
So, and again, passion and being an expert are two different things. I absolutely know nothing about plants. <laughs> and it's interesting because for a long time, like I grew up, you know, my mom always had a lot of plants. And, and ironically, my husband loves plants. But kind of as we, you know, sort of got together and got married and all of that, I was like, eh, you know, because I didn't. I felt like I didn't have the energy or the time to take care of them. And then it got to a point where I was a little afraid because I was like, well, what if I get them and they die? You know, so I was like, well, I'm not going to get any plants. And of course, you know, I think everybody sort of started tapping into different things to, you know, take care of themselves during this pandemic. And that was one of the things that I was just like, I feel like I need some plants in my life. So I started buying them. And, you know, when that self-talk came up and I just said, Brianna, you know what? Get them take care of them. If they die, lesson learned, get another one. You know, so once I got past that hurdle, um, I just kind of started obsessively buying plants. And I just love to look at them. I name them all. Um, all of them are named after um, ancestors in my family that have passed on. So, you know, there's one named after, well, ancestors and relatives. So there's one named after my dad who passed many years ago, one named after a brother who passed, um, one named after my mom, who's fortunately still with me. So I get to sort of speak that life into them. And I kind of feel like they're surrounding me and watching me every day and, you know, giving me that love and affirmation that I need. So um, it's been fun. I've killed a few, but it's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. We, we're big into plants in my household as well. Um, but I, our, our listeners can't see this, but there's actually a plant peeking into the screen back here. I see I like know. kind of waving around the corner. And I have to make a confession. That one's actually fake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody, though. You did not need to tell us that, Brianna. I yeah, you, I'm so, okay, look, I, there's one actually on my little workstation in front of me, and this one is actually real, so... <laughs> you know, I, I, I do try that, to be authentic. I, we really appreciate your honesty, <laughs> though you did not need to reveal that. <laughs> Sorry. You can edit that piece out. <laughs> For our listeners, the, the actual plant does look like it's thriving. Yes. And the fake plant looks like it's thriving. It too, absolutely so. is. <laughs> Brianna, before we let you go, can you let us know, how did you get your start at the McCourt School? Ah, okay. So... Uh, this is an interesting story, but I will keep give you the Reader's Digest version. So um, before I came to McCourt, I was doing career development on the law school side for many years. And um, I had finished up a position at the University of Pittsburgh Law School in D.C. I'd started their D.C. office. And so I was trying to figure out what to do next. And, you know, I, I and usually I would just sort of kind of close my eyes and throw a dart at something and see what popped up in terms of jobs. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna be a little bit more strategic this time. So I kind of sat down and made a list of what I wanted, what I didn't want. I decided I wanted to move away from law school and do something different. I wasn't sure if it was undergrad or grad. And one night I was at home and I uh, was, I think I might've been drinking a glass of wine. Um, and I saw a posting <laughs> for this position at the newly formed court school. And, you know, of course that initial self-doubt was, oh, I, don't, I can't do this. I don't know anything about this. And then I just said, you know, hit send and sent an application um, and got a response and, you know, haven't looked back. It's been literally one of the best decisions of my professional career. Um, and, it, and, and going through that process has kind of moved me into a new space I am um, getting into now, which is more coaching and, um, you know, career coaching, leadership coaching, sort of outside of what I do with students. So um, it's been a great gift to me. 
Absolutely. And one more. What do you look forward to most when we return to campus? Oh, man. Um, I would say, obviously, just hanging out with colleagues. Like, I do miss being able to drop into people's offices and just see what they're up to and chit-chat and have somebody to go grab a snack with. But honestly, I am looking forward to hitting up all of the great food options around campus. Like, that's one of the things I love the most about being on main campus because there's so many awesome places to eat. So I'm very excited about that. Awesome. Well, before we go, we just want to plug your podcast again, The Chocolate Bar. You can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Yes. And I believe you also run a consulting firm. So um, that's probably an overstatement. Um, So I just finished doing um, a coaching certification through the School of Continuing Studies at Georgetown. So I'm super excited about that. And I am launching, um, I don't know if I want to call it a side hustle. I'm not sure what I'm doing with it yet, but it is going to be coaching and consulting. So um, leadership coaching, um, you know, and also again, you know, offering some career development coaching for folks that are sort of outside the realm of um, the students that I work with. Um, and I'm getting all of that together, but look for it. It'll be on LinkedIn. Um, it's called Rise Coaching and Consulting. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited about that. Well, I think we're coming down to the end of our time today. Um, but just want to send a huge thank you to Brianna uh, for coming on the show. So thank, thanks for joining us here thank today. Thank you for having me. This has been absolutely so much fun. And I can't wait to listen to some of the episode, other episodes and learn more about my colleagues. So I'm excited for this. Well, thank you again. And for McCourtcast, my name is Andy. And my name is Lucy. And we'll catch you next time.